Amen. Well, welcome again to Bible Center Church. I'm Matt Friend, the senior pastor. It's awesome having you here. Even though summer doesn't officially begin for a few weeks, it just feels like summer. You look very summery. And we're going to jump into a new series, the Summer in the Psalms, going verse by verse through a 10 different psalms, give us a good variety, a good understanding of why the Lord gave them and how they can apply uh, to our lives. So let me encourage you throughout the series to take notes, take a lot of notes. If you take notes on your phone or your iPad or the old-fashioned way with a pen and paper, the outlines in your bulletin, we want to go deeper And just like the Bereans in the New Testament, it says they searched the scriptures daily to see if what the apostles' teaching was so. Let me invite you to do the same thing throughout the series. This morning, if you'd open with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, we're going to read it in just a moment. But before we do, I've got two quick announcements to give. I'm pretty excited about uh, these two announcements. The first announcement has to do with our All-In Challenge. About five weeks ago at the Municipal Auditorium, we launched the All-In Challenge, and it has two parts. It's just a year-long blitz where we as a church are trying to grow, reach people for Jesus, see them begin to be discipled in the faith. We want to grow and reach more people for Christ. The second aspect of the All-In Challenge has to do with crushing our debt. And we've been praying and been working for this for about a year, but again, it's only five weeks old. And I want to brag on you for just a minute. Hope it's okay if I brag on you. In just five weeks, we have a whole year to go. In just five weeks, you as a church have worked together to raise $1,197,000 to the glory of God. Can we celebrate that? Our mission is not to pay debt. Our mission is to glorify God by producing more maturing followers of Jesus. And the faster we get this knocked out, the faster we can move forward in our mission and vision. So God bless you. Thank you. We have the whole year to go. Also, I want to invite you to next Sunday night's annual family meeting right here in the auditorium, June 10th at 6 p.m. We're going to be rolling out our new elders and deacons. You can meet our current elders and deacons. I'm going to do what's called the, the, I'm calling the state of the church address, not the state of the union, but a state of the church. What's going well? What are we excited about? What concerns us? What are our burdens? What do we need your help with? Also going to be rolling out the new budget for the year. And then at the end, we're going to have ice cream. So if none of that makes you excited to come, hopefully Husky's ice cream will entice you to be here. If you're a member, let me strongly encourage you to be here. If you're committed to Bible Center, if you're a member, you're all in, please be here next Sunday night. And if you're an attender and you call Bible Center Church your home, so many of you say, hey, yeah, I still got to turn in my membership paperwork. You come anyway. If this is your regular church, we'd love to have you here so you can know what's going on in the life of Bible Center. Before I read, I want to tell you the story of my marathon two months ago or two weeks ago. One thing about a marathoner is they'll always tell you about their race. That used to drive me crazy and still I started running uh, races and now you, you find ways to weave them in sermon illustrations. I didn't mention it last Sunday at all, but it's been two weeks. It's time for me to mention it. The reason I can mention it is because I'm not the hero of the story. It actually ended somewhat badly, so I feel like I can share it. 
A story starts last November when I ran the, the marathon in Indianapolis. I had a personal record. I was really, really excited. I got a 328 in Indy. And so it was about 10 minutes faster than my previous marathon. So I just assume that every time you run a marathon, you're going to get 10 minutes faster, right? By the time like I'm 45, I'm going to be running it in an hour. What's the big deal? So I started training, I downloaded a training plan, and this was a, a robust plan. It had about 150 exercises over 16 weeks, and I really liked the plan except for a few exercises each week. Every week it had me going to the gym at least once. Well, I didn't like going to the gym. The gym hurts. The gym makes you sore. So I thought, well, I'll skip that particular day. It also had me going to the pool, usually about once a week, sometimes the same day as the gym, and I'm not a great swimmer, so I thought, well, I'll skip that exercise too. The plan had me running intervals almost weekly, and I started out doing the intervals well, but after a while, the interval, intervals hurt too. So I thought, you know, I can skip interval day. It's not that, that big a deal. And then, and then it also had me doing calisthenics every day, so many push-ups, so many sit-ups. And if you've ever done those, they're overrated. They really are. And they hurt too. So I skipped the calisthenics. And so for 16 weeks, though, I did everything else. You said, there, was there a, yes, there was plenty else to do. I show up to the Cleveland Marathon. This is what it looks like at the starting line. This was the, from the year before. It was actually raining two weeks ago. The Cavs had just beat the Celtics. And there on your right is Quicken Loans Arena. And so the whole city was a buzz. It was hard to go to sleep the night before because they were out in the streets celebrating. And, and so I'm wearing my West Virginia raincoat, which is a trash bag that you can easily you know, throw away whenever you're, you're, you're ready to start. The gun goes off, and I've got it in my mind. I want to get a 320 this year, eight minutes faster than last year. But something happened in the first mile. I quickly realized that I wasn't ready for this race. I really hadn't got my heart rate much over 150 in training. I like to keep it in the 140s or lower. And I hadn't, got my, I hadn't really worked hard. I'd skipped all those days. And before I finished the first mile, I realized I wasn't going to be strong enough to run the other 25 miles at the pace I had hoped. I finished with a 334, so I was still excited about that. But I learned a valuable lesson. You can't skip training and expect to run with strength. And the same is true with this Christian life. We, we can't skip out on our training and expect to run the Christian life with any kind of strength. So let's apply that this morning to our prayer lives. Maybe, maybe you've tried to pray before, but you've just kind of grown tired of trying to pray. Maybe prayer has become boring to you, or you commit every time the pastor preaches on prayer, or you read a verse on prayer, but quickly it, it just kind of fades away, and you're beginning to think the problem is you. Well, this morning I want to encourage you with this. The problem is probably not you. What do you mean by that? If you're a believer in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you're a new creation. You're a new creature. You have the Spirit of God inside of you, and Romans chapter 8 says that your default language is to cry out to God the Father, Abba, Father. Prayer is part of what it means to be a Christian. So I don't think the problem for most of us is just inherently us. I think the problem a lot is our method. And in the next few minutes, I'm going to explain what I mean by method. 
There's a method that the church has used for 2,000 years. They actually used it about 1,000 years before Jesus. But for some reason in 21st century Christianity, we have forgotten about this method, especially in like non-denominational churches like Bible Center. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes is share this method and explain why it's so important and how it can transform your life. You say, Matt, how can you be so confident it's going to transform your life? Because I've been doing it about a month and a half and it's starting to transform mine. And I'm so excited to share it with you today. If you're a dad or a mom and you pray for your kids, which I'm sure you do, this method will be encouraging. If you're a grandma or a grandpa, this method will help you pray for your kids and your grandkids. If you're a young believer and you're not yet sure how to pray, this method, method will teach you to pray. If you're a seasoned believer and you know you should pray, but prayer has kind of grown cold, this method will help you as well. If you're a student in middle school, high school, or college, and you're anxious, you're discouraged, this method will help you. And if you're a skeptic, and you're not even sure if you believe the Bible, I would love to challenge you to try this method for three weeks. And email me and let me know what happens, if anything, in your life. Let's jump in the Bible together and see what the method is. Psalm chapter 1. Will you stand with me out of respect for the Bible? Psalm chapter 1 in verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you're taking notes today, the main point of the message or the, the takeaway I'd like you to take home with you is simply this. Every psalm is a personal trainer for prayer. Every psalm is a personal trainer for prayer. Just like my marathon training plan had about 150 exercises, the psalm has, about a, has exactly 150 prayers to train us and strengthen us in the faith. Most of the Bible is about God speaking to his people, but this is the only book that exclusively is about us speaking God's word back to him. It was given for this purpose. Maybe you think to yourself, well, Matt, isn't the Psalms a song book? I mean, the word Psalms means song. Isn't it a song book? Well, actually, scholars tell us that only about 50 or so have a musical inscription, the other hundred are just simply prayers. And even the 50 that have a musical inscription are given to us just like the Lord's Prayer as a prayer and they just happen to be set to music. Really, we shouldn't say 150 of them are prayers, but really 148. Scholars tell us that the first two Psalms are like introduction. Jerome, the translator of the Latin Vulgate, calls Psalm 1 the preface to the Psalms. 
Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher in England, called them the preface psalms. The psalm we're going to look at today, think of it like a preface or an introduction to a good book that's going to help us navigate the rest of the book. And the message of the psalms is simple. Use God's word to speak God's word back to God. Use God's word to speak God's word back to God. It's as if God is calling all of us into his throne room, and not only does he invite us, but he tells us what we can say. So why pray the Psalms? Why are we so geared up about this for the next 10 weeks? I want to give you a few reasons, and we're going to move quickly through them. Number one, actually seven reasons. Number one, they connect us to believers from all nations at all times. They connect us to believers from all nations at all times. Psalm 1 describes the blessed people. Verse 6 and verse 1. Verse 6 describes the righteous people. Back before Jesus, they weren't called Christians. They were called believers or they were called the blessed ones or the righteous ones. And here the psalmist is speaking to the righteous ones. He's speaking to the family of God and he's telling the family of God to meditate on his word. Specifically, we'll see in a moment in the Psalms. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, from ancient times in the church, a special significance has been attached to the common use of the Psalms. For over 3,000 years, the people of God have used the Psalms as a prayer book, like an on-ramp to teach them how to pray and to guide their prayers. These aren't the only words that the people of God have ever prayed, but they teach us about how to pray. Psalms is the most quoted book in the Old Testament. It quickly became the prayer book for the early church. St. Benedict made sure his followers read through the Psalms, all 150, every week. When John Calvin was reforming his church in Geneva, he had his church in the corporate worship services read the Psalms twice a year so that every six months they were going through the entire Psalter. In the Anglican tradition, the Book of Common Prayer prays all the Psalms every month. And think about it, no matter what denomination, there are Christians around the world today who are praying the Psalms. A grandmother woke up in Bolivia this morning and prayed a psalm in Spanish. A, a man woke up in the Middle East and, and a Christian man prayed the psalms in Arabic. A, a grandfather prayed with his grandchildren or will today or did today at lunch in Munich and he'll pray in German. A North African pastor is going to pray the psalms over his people, just like a Chinese pastor is going to pray the psalms over his people today. And we can be in that stream and connected to all those people by praying the same words in our own language. The psalms is the prayer book that we all have in common. Why else can we pray the psalms? Well, number two, they mature us in the faith. The Psalms mature us in the faith. Verse 1 tells us that delighting in God's word is the key to being blessed, to being happy, to being fulfilled, or, or better, flourishing in our lives. Verse 3 tells us that delighting in God word, God's word makes us like a tree planted by rivers of waters. If you're taking notes, literally that means transplanted by irrigation canals. 
transplanted by irrigation canals. These people who had come out of Babylon with their complex irrigation systems knew exactly what trees looked like that were by irrigation canals compared to those that were out in the desert and wilting. He says you'll prosper, you'll flourish, verse 3. Your life will count for something. Your life will matter. So if we see Psalm 1 as an introduction to the entire prayer book with 149 psalms to follow, we can read Psalm 1 this way. It's as if the writer is saying, if you want to flourish, if you really want to go deep with God, if you really want to mature in the faith, read through the Psalms. They mature us spiritually. You know, every doctrine found in the Bible, I didn't know this till this week, every doctrine is found in some form in the book of the Psalms, even if it's in its budding state. Without the Psalms, we're, we're quick to get our own view of God and we bow our head and we picture a God who thinks like us and who looks like us and who acts like us. But as we discipline ourselves and actually pray the words of God back to him, our shape of God becomes more true of who he really is. The Psalms mature us emotionally. They teach us how to express our emotions to God and they shape our emotions before God. I mean, think about what life would be like without the Psalm that says the heavens declare the glory of God. I mean, it's been used a gazillion times. You're looking up at the night sky. You're seeing the star. The longer you look, the more stars appear. And for centuries, people have said the heavens have declared the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Psalms like Psalm 8 and others, we're gonna look at a range of emotions throughout this series, but they mature us emotionally. God never says these are the only words to pray, but if you want to mature in the faith, pray the Psalms. Why else can we pray the Psalms? Why should we pray? Number three, they protect us from life's many distractions. They protect us from life's many distractions. In verses one and two, we're gonna see this, this juxtaposition, this comparison of influences. But before we do that, let me ask, how many of you have ever been distracted when you've tried to pray, even once in your life? Anybody? Two or three of you? Yeah, good. Yeah, I thought I might be the only one. This is what happens with me. I bow my head to pray, and my thumb like starts twitching. Like it's looking for its phone, right? Like where's my phone? Or I start thinking about email or to-do list, or oh, I forgot to do that. And my mind starts to wonder. But in the Psalms, not to say that we'll be 100% perfect at it, but it will guard us and guide us and help us avoid many distractions as we pray. Verses one and two, the psalmist talks about wicked influences and, and sinning influences and, and scoffing or, or mocker influences in our life. The word mocker there re literally refers to a cynic. So the world is just screaming out loudly and also screaming out quietly, covertly, to steal our attention. But in verse two, he says, don't let it steal your attention. Delight in the law of the Lord and in his law meditate day and night. What is the law of the Lord? Well, one hand, we could say it's the first five books of the Bible. Often in the Old Testament, when it talks about God's law, it's referring to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
This is for extra credit. You can research it for yourself this week. But actually, if you Google the five books of the Psalms, the Psalms were divided into five books. And you can see it. If you flip to Psalm 42 today, you'll see the heading of Psalm 42. It says this is the beginning of book two. There's actually five books in the Psalms. And scholars believe that the compiler, maybe Ezra, we don't know, the compiler who put the Psalms together was trying to mirror the first five books of the Old Testament with the five books of the Psalms. They don't mirror in content, but they do in structure. And so what the psalmist is saying is this, you're about to embark on a journey through 150 Psalms. But in his mind, he had already divided them up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit into five categories, five different books. And he's saying this is just as much the law of God as the books that Moses wrote. The voices of the world push and shove and demand our attention. Facebook screams our attention. A good friend told me this week that we average 47 minutes a day on Facebook. 47 minutes a day. One of my good friends, uh, he, he, this a week or two ago, he was so honest. I loved it. He, he was just sharing it. I, I totally sympathize with him. He says, you know how it's, what it's like to get up in the morning and you know you're like, you know, just trying to wake up, grabbing your coffee. It's just so easy to sit there and take a minute. I'm going to check my Facebook real quick. You ever do that? Or your Instagram? or snap, whatever the cool thing is these days. And you're you're flipping through it, and you're like, I'll just look for a minute. And a half hour's gone by. Could it be possible? I have Facebook, you have Facebook, but could it be possible that we love Facebook more than we love the law of God? Maybe it's a career, nothing wrong with a career, but maybe your career is, it's a delight robber, it's stealing your joy to where you say, I have no time to be in the word of God. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a hobby. Thankfully, when we get back in the Psalms, he begins to focus us on God alone. We focus and avoid distraction. Number four, why do we pray the Psalms? Well, they save us from a worthless life. They save us from a worthless life. The psalmist says this clearly in verses four through six. He's describing the person who lives a wicked life, and he says in verse four, not so with the wicked. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Make a, you might make a note to look at Psalm 2 this week. Psalm 2 describes what some of those wicked, chaff-like people look like. We sometimes think of them as like the lowest of the low in society, but in Psalm 2, he actually describes them as kings and presidents and CEOs. He's like, there are people on earth, according to Psalm 2, who think their lives are weighty, who think their lives matter, who think a lot of people think they're really, really important, but he says in the end, they're just going to like be blown away like chaff because they've not rooted themselves in the word and promises of God. When we think about chaff, those of you who've grown up on a farm, you know what chaff is. But for the rest of us, it's that shell or husk around the wheat seed that's indigestible by humans. And so a a good farmer will separate the wheat from the chaff. You can blow it up, throw it up in the air, and the wind will blow away the chaff, and the heavier wheat will fall back to the ground. 
The best I can compare to it today is like peanuts on the floor at Logan's Roadhouse or one of the steakhouses. You know, if a strong breeze blows through, they just blow away. There's no substance. And what God is saying today is if you're not a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter if thousands of people follow you and like you and respect you and you command armies and you command businesses. God says your life is like that. It'll just blow away. And God doesn't want that for you, and I don't want that for you. And so the Lord is, is calling to you today about how to live a worthwhile life. And, and it begins by just diving into the Psalms and hearing about not only the written word, but the living word, Jesus Christ himself. Why should we pray the Psalms? Number five, they teach us to love what God loves they teach us to love what God loves. In verse 2, he says, your delight is in the law of the Lord. And in your law, you meditate day and night. Has prayer ever been laborious to you? Do you ever find yourself praying about the same, the same old things about the same old things? Has prayer ever just been kind of discouraging? It's just kind of dry or kind of cold? The psalmist knows that. That's the default mode of our hearts without Jesus. And so the writer of Psalm 1 knows that the only way that we will be able to delight in prayer is if we delight in God. So let's stop for just a minute and think about what he's saying. He says, delight in the law of the Lord. There's two ways to preach this. I could tell you today, you need to love God more and really like pour on the guilt trips. You ever been like given a guilt trip? Like just really pour on the guilt. You need to love God more. You don't love God enough. You need to love God more. That's one way to do it. I don't think it'd be very effective. It's never effective when people have done that to me. And so I'm not going to do that to you. But I think the more biblical way to get you to love God more is the way that God uses in the book of First John. Remember what he says? We love him because why? He first loved us. And so the psalmist isn't saying, hey, you need to muster up love for God and get your prayer life together. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is this. You've got a God who started the conversation with you. You have a God who loves you so much, he wants fellowship with you, he wants relationship with you, that not only did he make you and send his son to save you, but he is actually giving you a whole book, specifically in the Psalms, because he knew you wouldn't know exactly what to say. And if you're, if you're growing cold in your prayer life, he loves you so much that you can pray the very words back to him. This is a God who instigates relationship, not a God who's sitting up there counting the hours that you're not praying. So when we see that God wants to converse with us, he wants a relationship with us, it moves from compliance to love. It's not a, a love like we love donuts or chocolate milk. It's a relational kind of love. It's a, it's a delighting in a person. It's a person that makes us feel rich. Eugene Peterson sums it up in his book, Answering God. He says, left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or the part of God we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us and everything he speaks to us. What is essential in prayer is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. 
The God without which the Psalms could not exist is the God who reveals himself in Israel and in Christ. He makes himself known because he makes himself known. Because he makes himself known, he is a God whom we know. We love God when we read the Psalms. Why should we pray the Psalms? There's just two more reasons. Number six, they provoke us to express our deepest burdens. There should be a two in there. They provoke us to express our deepest burdens. Notice verse two again. He says, in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, if I were to ask you or one of your kids asked you, what is meditate? Before this week, I probably would have said contemplate. It means to uh, think about, to maul on something, to deliberate. And that's certainly part of the definition of meditate. But there's more to meditate than just simply thinking thoughts. Here's what I mean. Isaiah 31.4, an interesting passage. In Isaiah 31.4, Isaiah uses the same word for meditate as in Psalm 1, but he describes it as the sound a lion makes when it's over its prey about to enjoy a good meal. He says the groans that come from the lion are the meditations of a lion. The word literally again means murmuring or muttering. And the entire book of Psalms gives us a glimpse into the murmurings and the meditations and the the mumblings of saints as they pray to God. And God says, if you want to know how to pray, go back to the Psalms and learn how they prayed. For some reason in the church, we've developed these formulas. And when I was a kid, I was taught the ACTS formula. Maybe you were too. Acts, A-C-T-S. You, you got to start in prayer by adoring God. And if you start in prayer by adoring God, then you, then you move to confessing your sin. You got to confess your sin next. I never really understood that because I thought, well, God wants us to confess our sin to adore him. Shouldn't it be cats and not acts? But anyway, that's just a, something in my mind. And then T, thanksgiving to God. And then S is supplication. And, and so growing up, it was like, okay, now I'm going to pray. Okay, I'm going to do the A. God, you're awesome. Maybe now you hear me. C, confession. I did this yesterday, well, and today, and and and, I, and we get these formulas, and, and formulas help, but in the Psalms, we don't see formula. In the Psalms, we see groanings. We see people expressing their emotions in very raw ways. I told you a moment ago that Psalm 1 and 2 is introduction. So really, the prayers begin in Psalm 3, and they go all the way through Psalm 150. And when you get to Psalm 3, the very beginning of Psalm 3, you've got this guy crying out for help. Help, Lord, my enemies are trying to kill me. Now, what would happen if we prayed like that? I'm thinking about... But kids are little. Kids don't know how to like pray to impress God. They just, they just call out to God. There's no mask. There's no plastic. They just call out. They ask for what they need. I saw this picture this week of Katie when she was about three or almost three. We were tra- traveling across Ohio. We'll throw that picture up on the screen. We were traveling across Ohio and Katie was about this age and she saw a, uh, the, the billboard for Cracker Barrel. When the kids used to see those billboards, you know, we had to stop. They loved Cracker Barrel. And, and so Katie's like four o'clock in the afternoon and Katie wants to eat at Cracker Barrel. 
And, and I was like, honey, no, daddy's, you know, got gas mileage. I got to make good time. We got two more hours. We'll stop about six o'clock and eat, you know, trying to explain that to a two and a half year old. And Katie sees the, the billboard. So she knows she's not getting anywhere with dad. So she decides to talk to dad's boss. She bows her head, folds her arms. And she had a little lisp back then. She said, dear Jesus, thank you for the biscuits. In Jesus' name, amen. I knew I had to stop. My car would explode if I didn't stop, right? That's what God is saying here. Some of you have such deep pain and hurt this morning. You sit in the seat and you come to church and on the way in, I do it. I ask you, how are you doing? And you say, okay, because that's what I say when you ask me and, and I get it. But down deep, God is inviting you to a deeper place. A place that's beyond information, but it's a place where there is emotional transformation. And you could call out to God and say, God, life stinks. God, I'm depressed. God, I hate that person. God, I wish that person would die. God, why did you do this to me? Why do bad things happen to good people? And at that moment, when we start praying like that, that's when revival comes to the people of God. Let me invite you this summer. We're gonna go through, and I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not. The pastors and I have picked 10 Psalms, and frankly, some of the ones we picked are not ones that I would pick, because I like the happy stuff. But we're not gonna get happy in every Psalm, but we are gonna get real. Let me invite you to go through the Psalms with us this summer. Athanasius, church father wrote this, whatever your particular need or trouble, you can select a form of words to fit it from the Psalms. Martin Luther said, Psalms is a book for all saints everywhere in whatever situation he or she may be, finds in that situation a Psalm that fits their case as if it were put there just for them. While we pray the Psalms, there's one last reason Perhaps the best reason is this. They transform us to be more like Jesus. The Psalms transform us to be more like Jesus. Jesus prayed the Psalms. If you cut Jesus, and they did, he bled the Psalms. His mother probably taught him to memorize the Psalms from a very young age. It's the same reason that many of you send your kids to Awana or down to our classes. You want your kids to learn the scriptures. It's so important. Of the 1,800 verses that Jesus spoke in the New Testament, 10% of them are scripture quotations, and many of them were the Psalms. Mark 1 tells us that he meditated on God's word in the morning. Luke 6 says he meditated on God's word in the evening. And in Hebrews 10, 7 through 9, Jesus quotes Psalm 40 in verse 8, and he says, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. We've heard about the last sayings of Christ, the seven last sayings of Jesus on the cross. And as we think about the seven last sayings, I've preached on them. You've probably heard them taught. If you're new to the church, Jesus is recorded as saying about seven things on the cross. There was a few that were really practical. For instance, when he was hanging on the cross, he looked out at his mother and he, he saw John and he said, essentially, John, take care, of my, take care of your mom. She's now your mom. That's very practical. The criminal on the cross beside him, Jesus, when he put his faith in Jesus, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But most of the rest of what Jesus spoke on the cross was taken directly from scripture. The longest thing he said was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a direct quotation from Psalm 22. 
Most scholars believe Jesus didn't just quote random verses, but he may have started through the Davidic Psalms at the beginning of the book and had been praying them silently. And occasionally he would take a breath by lifting up his, himself on the nail that was driven through his feet and only to, just to have a moment to be able to utter a word. And he said, I thirst, which is Psalm twenty-two, fifteen. So probably between those two, he was praying all of Psalm 22. The last thing Jesus prayed is taken directly from Psalm 33 and verse 5, or excuse me, Psalm 31, where he says, into your hands I commit my spirit, and then he died. The last thing Jesus did before he died on the cross was pray the Psalms. And you and I will never be more like Jesus than we are praying the Psalms as well. Jesus fulfilled Psalm 1. He is the righteous, the truly righteous one. You and I can be righteous because Jesus became the curse. You and I can be the tree because Jesus became the chaff. You and I can be blessed because Jesus sacrificed himself for our sins. Here's what I'd like you to do this summer. We have a book for you as you leave. Pastor Mike has done an amazing an amazing job putting this book together, 50-some pages. It's a prayer guide. We have one for all of you. If you'd pick one up on the way out, it's a thick book, but I'd love for you this summer with me to begin praying the Psalms. And maybe this book will help. For some, maybe just simply opening up to Psalm 1 and you reading it and praying it a few times a day, and then you circle it or put a check by it when you're done. Whatever works for you, let's pray the Psalms. As we close, I'm going to do something that uh, I hope goes well. If it doesn't go well, I won't do it in the next service. I just want to show you what it looks like to pray the Psalms. So no one, there's no plants, there's no preparation, nobody, I haven't said like, kind of like on whose line it is, is, is in any way, you know, you, you get ready with a Psalm. I want you to say Psalm 23. I didn't say that. So I want to invite somebody to throw out a number between 3 and 150, and I'm going to pray that Psalm. 23. That's, that's, I, man, I did, maybe I should planted you there. That's good. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. I like it. This is what it looks like to pray Psalm 23. We'll do one more before we're done. Psalm 23 looks something like this. And you don't have to, to close your eyes. I just want to show you what it looks like. I would find a quiet place or in my car, I might listen to it. And I would listen to verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So then I might pray something like this, whatever comes to mind. Lord, thank you for being my shepherd. Lord, I need a shepherd. I'm a grown man. My kids need shepherded, but God, I need a shepherd. You're my shepherd. And then I'd read verse 2, or listen to verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. God, you know the anxiety in my heart. You know I struggle with social anxiety. And Lord, it's a cruel joke that you call me to lead hundreds and thousands of people and yet, I, every day, God, you know I struggle with anxiety. And Lord, crowds scare me to death. God, as I walk into crowds today, lead me beside quiet waters. Help me to trust in your care. And then I might read verse 3. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. So I might then just start praying for my kids. Lord, lead my kids. Lead Katie and Riley along right paths. They have broken hearts. They're sinners just like their mom and dad. But lead them along right paths. Then I might read verse 4, even though I'll walk through the valley of, darkest, of the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Lord, there's a lady in our church this week that lost her mom. She's walking through a really dark valley. Will, will you help her? Will you be with this dear lady and comfort her heart? Surely your goodness and love follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, I'm so excited for heaven. God, I, I pray that you would help us and help me as a, as a leader of the church to lead our church to be excited about heaven. I pray that your goodness and mercy and love will flow through us and out of us. Amen. And that's what it looks like for me, who's just learning. I'm just learning to do this, to pray Psalm 23. Somebody throw out another one, and then we'll, we'll close. One more. 45. We'll go with 45. Our staff threatened to give me some hard ones. I didn't hear who said that. I hope you're not a staff member. Okay, Psalm 45. Oh, man, that was pretty long. I'll just do the first few verses. Psalm 45. No, that's Isaiah 45, or Psalm 45. <laughs> I did do the Bible sword drills as a kid. Okay, here we go, Psalm 45. Here we go. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skilled writer. You are most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Lord, I pray that you would help our pastors, God, to have lips of grace and words of grace. I pray that you would help us to speak truth in love today. In your majesty, verse 4, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. God, I pray for your people today at Bible Center that you would help us to be a people of humility, a people of justice, a people of good deeds. Uh, verse 5, let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Man, you gave me a hard one. Verse 5, I might pray something like this. Lord, there's some people I really, really don't like. And there's some people in the world that are absolutely against Jesus. God, I pray that you would either change their heart or that you would crush them. That you would get, do away with that testimony that hurts the cause of Jesus so the cause of Jesus could go forward. God, there are babies being killed. There are people losing their lives. There's people being starving to death and injustice all around the world. Dear God, would you please destroy the ultimate enemy, Satan, would you come quickly? And then I would continue with the rest of Psalm 45. I hope that helps you. However you pray, let me encourage you to pray the Psalms for the reasons that I've given this morning. They connect us to believers from all nations. They mature us in the faith. They protect us from life's many distractions. They save us from a worthless life. They teach us to love what God loves. They provoke us to express our deepest burdens. And they transform us to be more like Jesus. Pray the Psalms with me this summer. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you want us to be blessed. I pray that you will bless, flourish us, grow us, deepen us in the faith. God, save us from being wicked, from being unbridled sinners. God, save even us from being cynics who may quietly sit in a church pew but be as cynical as anyone in the world. God, save us from that. God, help us to remove distractions and to delight in, in your law and to do it day and night. Just throughout the day, may this be the thing. May you be the one we delight in the most. Father, 
make us like trees. God, Bible Center, deepen us as a church. Deepen me as its senior pastor. And help us this summer to go deep in your word that we may go high in your glory and see you high and lifted up like we've never seen before as we study and delight in your law. We don't want to be worthless. We want to be worthful. We want to be weighty men and women. Make us weighty men and women for the kingdom. You know the way of the righteous. You know us. You see us right now. You see our hearts. But the way of the ungodly will perish. Make us like the first. In Jesus' name.